Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, March 1st. What the hell, hey. 2021? It has been 137 <laughs> days since the Tony nominations were announced. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, uh, before we get into today's episode, I want to let everybody know that there was a fantastic episode of This Week on Broadway in your podcast feeds yesterday. It featured the star of both pop music, cabaret, and the musical theater stage, Patula Clark, known, I think, the world over for her song Downtown. She has also become a a cabaret staple um, in both Mm -hmm. English and French, um, and of course has done a ton of theater, including Sunset Boulevard. Um, a great conversation, and um, James put some really cool videos in the show notes for that. So if you want to visit BroadwayRadio.com, you can check that out. And since this was this week on Broadway, our Patreon uh, friends were able to join in live and submit questions and listen to the interview as it was happening. If you would like to be able to do that, head over to Patreon.com slash BroadwayRadio, BroadwayRadio.com slash Patreon. And Grace and I are going to have our next... Uh, Patreon-only episode where we discuss something that has little to nothing to do with theater. Um, and actually, you're welcome to join if you get oh, caught up in time. Oh, boy. This coming weekend, I think, we haven't discussed the details yet, um, Grace and I are going to discuss the nearly perfect nine-episode run of Marvel's WandaVision. I was going to ask if we should do a WandaVision roundtable because of the theater yeah. connections. Ooh. Yeah. Grace brought it up. It was Grace's idea. So, um, Ashley, I know you haven't watched yet, but if I you want to watch it, we'll coordinate. Um, and if you want to if you want to do it, you are welcome to join us. Uh, but if you want to check that out, jump on the Patreon. All right, Ashley, let's get into the news. Our first story of the week comes from Philip Boroff at the Broadway Journal. And in it, he writes that last summer, like months and months ago, current and former cast members of the Book of Mormon, including members of the OBC, wrote a letter to the production team voicing concerns about the musical's depiction of the African characters in the show. According to the article, quote, the letter addresses the challenges of differentiating between racial stereotyping and satirical storytelling, especially in moments of the show when African characters are treated as, quote, props and punchlines. In response to this letter, lead producer Anne Garafino organized a call again last summer um, with these and other company members in which co-writers Trey Parker and Matt Stone said that they were, quote, eager to take a fresh look at the show, which opened on Broadway 10 years ago this month. The article claims that the duo behind Book of Mormon and South Park and a lot of other stuff um, are very much open to making changes when and if the show returns to Broadway following the pandemic shutdown. Now, actually, these complaints are not new. They date back to 2011 when the show opened and likely even before that during the developmental process. But the focus on equality following this uh, last summer's uh, Black Lives Matter protests and the discussions of racism in theater have brought them into far sharper, sharper contrast. And what's interesting about this, Ashley, is that in this original letter, they actually, the members of the OBC said that they felt much more comfortable with it having been able to have the discussions with the creative team mm. um, uh, about how they decided to differentiate between stereotyping and satire. But with a show yeah. a decade in now, you just don't have the opportunities to have those conversations because it's all about getting it in and out and turning it over and having sure. your put So I thought that that was a really interesting 
pulling back of the curtain. And the article also talks about how um, Robert Lopez, who wrote co-wrote the score, um, really did a lot of deep dives into Ugandan people and was able to kind of bring a lot of that discussions to the actors during the developmental process, which obviously doesn't happen once the show is up. Sure. But in a statement to Broadway Journal, the production said that the writers, Parker Stone and Lopez, are looking forward to addressing, quote, everyone's concerns when it's safe to get back into the rehearsal room again. Now, Ashley, obviously, I don't know Parker and Stone or Lopez well at all, but Parker and Stone and Bobby, to a lesser degree, are all known for pushing the boundaries of comedy. Um, But in the little that I know of them, I don't think that they are adverse to change and reflection. And I don't think that for the most part, I think especially Parker and Stone are fine with like attacking individual people who deserve it. I don't think Uh, they are really (laughs) well, but my point is, is like, I don't think that they're really here. Like I don't think their goal is ever to do something that is racist or anything like that. I think they they have done that. I rarely think that's the actual goal. Right. And I think that they're cognizant when it, when something like that happens, I think they're open to hearing it, but I hope, should the show reopen on Broadway at some point, that the creative team will take these concerns seriously. And honestly, this is what we've been talking about. Put this year plus layoff to good work and to good use and, you know, take the opportunity to change with the climate of the country. I just just don't reopen it. (laughs) But that's not a question of race. That's a question of money. And that's that's. Beyond and that I, has nothing to do and with I, and this. I get that, but if there's like uh, f- first of all, if there's a line here which everyone has been discussing since the shutdown and since the Black Lives Matter protests this past spring and summer, if you know looking at Book of Mormon and whether people believe it's racist or not, which it is uh if if a show is that controversial <laughs> that we're having these discussions at this point, it, you know talking about actors that have had the discussions with the production team and creators and everything. That's great, but the audience is not looking at that. The audience doesn't really have Fair. that insight. They're coming into a show without, okay, well, here are the, you know, here's the minutia of everything. Here's the minutia of the Ugandan people. Like, the audience is not coming into that. So, you're bringing back a show that is, you know, has a lot of controversy, that, you know, people have been calling it racist. Again, it is racist. Uh, and and we've had this entire – these months and months of protest, which has still not been met. I mean, the Broadway League has not responded <laughs> to yeah. any calls from, like, We See You White American Theater um, and, or- and similar organizations. Like, there's been no response. So, if they're not going to respond – uh, in a way that's substantial, you're still bringing back a show that everyone is calling racist and that audience members are not going to have like that insight to, like I already said. I think it's a very difficult thing. And, you know, I kind of, you know, uh, you know <laughs> as I was mumbling when you said that they, they don't attack people who don't deserve it. And that's always the thing about satire is that, you know, the goal is that you should be punching up, not punching down. And Parker and Stone have not been especially good about that. Uh, they've been good at apologizing <laughs> for it. Like 10 years later, you even look at something like Al Gore and, you know, everything around South Park and Al Gore and just really making a mockery of him 
for climate change. And then years later, they're like, oh, yeah, that was actually stupid of us. Like, I think obviously the goal is to not is to go in and, you know, make these satirical observations, but that doesn't always happen. And I think that's what's happened with Book of Mormon. It's, it's Book of Mormon versus, you know, anything Mel Brooks does. And, or even with anything Mel Brooks does, like I always want a producer's revival, but could the producers be put on at this time without similar claims being made? I don't know. And I don't really think so either. I think we're going to get that anyway, but that's just me. I think we're going to get both of these shows opening uh, shortly over uh, after when Broadway does. But yeah, I I have said that I love um, the South Park movie, but that is the extent of my- I adore the South Park movie. Yeah, but that's the extent of my South Park knowledge. I've never seen an episode of the TV show. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, so like it's I'm very limited in their work. Yeah. Although I do love their movie Basketball and um, oh, Orgasmo oh, and Cannibal the Musical. Like I've seen yeah, their movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I it's say, just like, yeah, yeah. I say this as someone who's been watching South Park literally since third grade because no adult supervision. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would never have been allowed to watch it. No. <laughs> I mean, I probably wouldn't have been either, but where were my parents? We just don't know. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, I say this as someone who's been a fan, less so in recent years, but has been a fan for a really long time and has watched them made, make these blunders over and over again. Not just blunders, but huge errors huge errors of judgment when it comes to satire yeah and we'll see what happens like i said i think the money of this show is what will keep it around um and you know even if it's not on broadway i think it'll still get done um whether it's tours or eventually get released to regionals and whatever its next incarnation is i hope that they take a look at that script to see how they can change it for modern audiences. It's one of the most successful shows of all time. It's not going to just disappear off the face of the earth. So something has to be done. Whether I think that should be on Broadway or not is an entirely different conversation, which it shouldn't be. Yeah. All right, Ashley, let's take a real quick break to talk about our sponsor. We are welcoming back our friends at audible.com. Yay! For the folks who have been living under a rock for the better part of a decade, let everybody know exactly what Audible is and what you can (laughs) do with this fantastic platform. I got this. So Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. On Audible, you can find the largest selection of audiobooks from everything from bestsellers, memoirs, languages, motivation, and more, plus plenty of binge-worthy podcasts, meditation and fitness tracks, and music on their Audible Plus catalog. Now, with Audible Plus, you don't actually have to spend any credits that you get to get that content, which is really cool. But as an Audible Limbo, you'll get one credit every month that you can trade in for any title in the rest of their catalog. You can download titles and listen offline, anytime, anywhere, and the app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. If you have multiple devices you want to use it on, you can just go from one to the other. Use your credits right away or keep them for up to a year. If you decide you're not loving something, you can simply swap it for something better. Yeah, and what's great about Audible is is they have made this incredible investment in theater. Yes. We talk about it all the time with them uh, recording shows with WTF, doing a bunch of stuff at Cherry Lane Theater. And here is just a small sampling of the shows that they have audio versions of in their catalogs. They have Seawall, A Life with Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Sturridge. 
You've got Latin history from morons with John Leguizamo. You have Alan Cummings' Legal Immigrant, which I saw at uh, uh, Joe's Pub. Yes, I wax poetic about that show as often as possible. I love That's it amazing. so much. So good. So good. And you've got Chissa Hutchinson's Proof of Love, An Act of God with Sean Hayes, True West starring Kit Harrington and Johnny Flynn, Boys and Girls with Carrie Mulligan, who is the, the queen of all things right now. You've got Sakina's Restaurant with Asif Manvi and so much more. I know that we aren't really like commuting and taking subways or long car rides as much as we did a year plus ago, but yeah. this really is a must have for all theater fans who find themselves sitting in a car, in a plane, in a train, whatever, on their couch with nothing say, better to do. Yeah, just at in a corner of your home just staring blankly at the wall <laughs> so to start your 30 day free trial visit audible.com slash broadway radio or text broadway radio to 500 500 that's a-u-d-i-b-l-e dot com slash broadway radio or text broadway radio to 500 500 to start your 30 day trial one more time audible.com slash broadway radio <laughs> or text broadway radio to 500 500 all right ashley let's get back into the news and we are going to do a something we haven't done in a long time Ooh. um i guess we did it for like uh um, the prom and ma rainey's but yeah. we have another review roundup for a film based on a stage property this one is um a film adaptation of florian zeller's play the father um it was actually originally written in french uh by florian zeller then it was adapted to english by christopher hampton this film was directed by Florian Zeller and stars Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, Rufus Sewell, Imogen Poots, Mark Gaddis, and Olivia Williams. The 2016 Broadway version starred Frank Langella and Catherine Irby. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it focuses on a man who struggles with aging as his daughter moves into his flat to help him. Um, this is something actually that you, me, and Grace have said once yeah. it is available on demand on March 26th, we will all be watching it and doing a round table so about it. But excited. let me tell you, the reviews so far have been very, very mm -hmm. strong. Uh, reviewing it for the New York Times, Jeanette Katsoulis said, quote, combining mystery and psychodrama, the father is a majestic depiction of things falling away. People, surroundings, and time itself are becoming ever more slippery. As if to enforce order on days that keep eluding him, Anthony clings obsessively to his watch. And then it goes on to do a little bit more about the plot, which I don't want to spoil for you. Um, writing for the rep, uh, Alonzo Duraldi wrote, quote, As Anthony Hopkins masterfully portrays a man slipping further and further into dementia, the film captures the terrifying sensation of not remembering and not understanding the people and places around around us and the helplessness of having to have your reality explained to you. Dana Stevens writing for Slate said, quote, but in a remarkable feat of directorial sleight of hand, Zeller, remember the original playwright, uses the medium of film to tell Anthony's story in a way only film can, by evoking through a mix of editing, camera placement, and production and sound design, the temporally and spatially collapsed world mm. its, its protagonist is experiencing. Interesting. So I... Yeah, I remember, and again, I said Anthony in there a couple of times. Anthony Hopkins is playing a character named Anthony, in case that was confusing. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so this was a show that did 
um, pretty well uh, on Broadway. It mm, yeah. um, was nominated for Best Play, and Frank Langella won um, Best Actor yeah. in a Leading Role in a Play. This has been nominated for four Golden Globes, which are happening literally four minutes mm-hmm. after we are at from this very moment when we are recording, including Best Motion Picture Drama. So this is already a film that has gotten a ton of awards recognition, and I'm very, very excited to see this so much so. Uh, when it is available on demand on March 26th. Yeah, really looking forward to this one and for our roundtable about this. Obviously, I've been an Anthony Hopkins fan for a really long time because Silence of the Lambs is my favorite movie. Um, also been a... Exactly. Well done. Well done. Also been an Olivia Coleman fan for a really long time because I'm, you know, huge into British television. So knew her from Peep Show before, like she became big on the US circuit, which is extremely thrilling to me. Uh, this is, uh, you know, when the news came out about this, maybe last summer when I was writing casting about it and they announced this casting, it's been on my radar ever since. So I'm so glad to see it getting the reviews it clearly deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to talk about it. All right, Ashley, let's get through some real quick news here. Last week, I think you and I talked about the New York report that showed a tremendous loss of jobs amongst arts Mm -hmm. workers Mm -hmm. in the Big Apple. Well, On Thursday, a similar report was issued by Otis College in California that said that between February and December of last year, quote, total job loss in the creative economy workforce reached about 13% statewide and 24% in Los Angeles County. During those 11 months, California lost 175,000 jobs in the creative industries, which includes architecture, creative goods and products, entertainment and digital media, fashion and fine arts. In response, U.S. Congresswoman Karen Bass, who represents part of L.A., said, quote, There is no economic recovery in our area unless a working creative engine is driving it. Congress must provide additional assistance to the creative economy and its millions of employees. Bass was part of a panel of arts advocates and elected officials on Thursday, which you can read more about in a Los Angeles Times article in the show notes. Next, Nathan Lane was recently a guest on the Last Laugh podcast. If he's doing podcasts, why haven't we had him on? Uh Anyway, (laughs) he teased a potential sequel to the iconic film The Birdcage. Of course, the film was a Miami-based adaptation of the original stage play, La Caja Fall. uh, And Lane said that this potential sequel would be a way to honor his late co-star Robin Williams and for his character and the one originally played by Hank Azaria to have a new a new adventure by going to Guatemala. However, Azaria has said that he will not return to the role because he is a white man playing mm-hmm. a Guatemalan character and after some of the criticism he had surrounding his voice work uh, on The poo. Simpsons, yeah. he didn't think that it would be um, appropriate. So He's um, correct. He's probably correct, yeah. <laughs> yes, he's very much correct. Um, and finally, Ashley, normally I would have ended with the birdcage story. I would have put that yeah. last because it's such a great movie. And I know how much you love Nathan Lane, so we could have talked in depth obs- about it. And but- I'm obsessed with the birdcage, so we yeah, literally could have talked about it for about 50 straight minutes, and I'd be delighted. But instead, the final piece yeah. of news that I've got today is the fact that Stephen Sondheim, much John Weidman, Jerry Sachs, Paul Gimignani, Michael Starobin, and 11 members of the original off-Broadway cast of Assassins will participate in a free online event with Studio 10 in Franklin, Tennessee. That's T-E-N. Now, you might be asking yourself, 
why would that incredible group of people, which includes Victor Garber, Greg German, Terrence Mann, Annie Golden, Lee Wolkoff, Deborah Monk, and more, be celebrating the 30th anniversary of the show with Studio 10 Theater Company, T-E-N-N? Well, the artistic director of said company is none other than Patrick Cassidy. That'll do who originated it. The role, yeah, that'll do it. Who originated the role of the balladeer in the show. The event will happen a week from tonight, Monday, March 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And actually, I've said this before. I love Into the Woods. I love Merrily. Yes. I love Follies. Yes. I love Sweeney. Correct. I especially Correct. love Sunday. Correct. But I think that Assassins... I don't even think. I, Assassins is my favorite Sondheim show, so Respect. this is very, very cool. Respect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sondheim has said in the past that it's the only show that he would not make edits to, whether that's changed or oh, not, wow. is an entirely different story because, you know, he's Sondheim and probably has a thousand things he wants to change he now. He likes the tinker. He likes the tinker. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, that was once the show that he didn't want to make any edits to, so you're in good company. See what I did yeah, there? Yeah, so good. Yeah. I, oh, I, I forgot company in my list of shows that I love, of course. Very dare you. I, I could list them all. I mean, I could I mean, have, but it would have, have. You know, running out of time. Mm. But oh. uh, this is very cool. <laughs> I grew up. Yeah. I grew up on the Assassin's Cast album. Like, I, that is like decades for me. Um, maybe not 30 years, but, but pretty close. Like 25-ish years I've been obsessed with that. And I still Good. say that Unworthy of Your Love might be the most beautiful melody that Sondheim's ever written. Mm, so yeah, I've got thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least I, the, most, how about this? the most conventionally beautiful melody. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, I like that. That's, that's, the, that's the type of melody that Jason Alexander's character in Merrily um, wanted him to write. Exactly. It's a tune you can hum. hum -a -dum, bum -a -dum, bum -a -dum, melody. Anyway, yeah, all right, let's get into some feel-good recommendations. We've been talking about this event that is coming up tomorrow, March 2nd. It is New York Theater Workshop's Gala, 25 Years of Rent Measured in Love. They have released a sneak peek of it, so check that out. And then finally, the great and the good, um, Brian Stokes Mitchell with Seth Radetzky's guest mm. this weekend on his live concert series. They have gone to a new schedule. They do the live version at 3 p.m. and a re-air at 8 p.m. Um, yeah, so I watched okay. it live. Um, Stokes did a lot of great stuff from his catalog, including he sang Stars, which he did. Oh. He played Javert at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. We have that in the show notes. He also did, um, uh, Wheels of a Dream and Make Them Hear You oh, from Ragtime. Oof. He opened it up with uh, a song from uh, Kiss Me Kate and he talked about a bunch of other stuff. Really, really great stories. Damn. So um, it's too late now. They, it won't be on demand, but um, Stokes is fantastic no matter what. So, He's uh, so damn good. Ugh. Yeah, definitely recommend you check out his stars. All right, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, this is Ashley. So everybody, have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful first day of March. And all things, if they go according to plan, Ashley, you will have a uh, an interview with Whoa. the great KTP yeah. uh, in the podcast feed tomorrow, right? Absolutely. Very excited. We're going to talk tomorrow or today, I guess, on Monday. So that'll be coming to you right away about his new Broadway Soul Volume 2. Yeah, Kyle Taylor Parker. I talked to him. I don't know if it was a just a special episode or a tell me more about Broadway Soul Volume 1. Now you're going to talk to him about Broadway Soul more. Volume 2. Yeah. They, they are... I... I 
love. I loved Volume 1 so much, I got on his Kickstarter for Volume 2. Mm-hmm. They're really, really They're fantastic albums. I highly, highly yeah. recommend them. Exceptional. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day, and we will talk soon. Mm-hmm.